the goat's head's been chopped off and put it in a pan. The coal fire, no seasoning, nothing, just skin. Hey, it's the Canadian Cycling Magazine podcast. And what we just heard was Biaoling Tony, a young rider who pedaled around the globe and some of his culinary adventures during that trip. We're going to hear more from Tony about his uh, 206-day, 16-country, and thousands of kilometer ride. But uh, Dan, what else are we going to hear? Well, I mean, that thing is seriously impressive. The, yeah. uh, we were talking about that with some of my friends I was riding with this weekend and kind of inspired us to do our own little butter tart 700 uh, route planning. I really? Mean, listen, it's not across Russia. No. And uh, I didn't get a chance to eat goat or I don't think I'm going to have a chance to eat goat. But uh, stories like that are awesome and they're really inspiring. They are inspiring. And yes, whether that gets you to do, um, uh, you know, 600 more kilometers than you'd regularly do or whatever. It, it's it, They're good tales for sure and inspiring. Yeah. And then we're going on to the people segment, full send, no send. Oh, totally. We are... Dis- dissecting my bike dissecting his bike dissecting his <laughs> ego at the same time <laughs> um then it's on to old coach glassford peter glassford with the uh maybe we will call him old coach peter. i like to imagine my coach is old and weathered <laughs> like uh from rocky more get like, up because mickey loves you more like stan from Lay boys okay there's like Jeez, three people no. in chambly who are gonna get that no but one like, knows that reference but he was a great coach character. I'm sure he was. Awesome mustache. All coaches need a good mustache. Too. Okay, but anyway, Peter Glassford is our coach, and he's got great advice. We're talking about strength training. Um, it's something we think about in the winter, Yep. and we should probably think about more often. Yes, correct. And we're going to wrap it up with Ben Caterberg. Does that name ring any bells, Dan? Should it? Yes, because he is the junior road and TT champion. And last September, it came out that he signed, or Sunweb Development signed him to their team. Nice. And I spoke with him to hear about just how his early days are going on that squad. Well, that's super impressive. Even if you're in the orbit of Tom Dumoulin, I gotta think by <laughs> I gotta think by osmosis, you're getting some of that knowledge. <laughs> so, so you're you're thinking like just the it'll ooze out and to the development team. That's appropriate with Tom, isn't it? Oh, man. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> and now it's time for Biel and Tony. Near the end of January, Biel and Tony, an 18-year-old from Saskatoon, rolled into his hometown. He had been away since July 1st, riding his bike. He went to Halifax, flew to Portugal, continued east through Europe, Russia, Mongolia, China, Australia, and New Zealand. Then it was back to Canada to face the Rockies and the Prairies in winter. Upon completing his ride, Tony has become the youngest person to ride around the world unsupported. Canadian Cycling Magazine web editor Philippe Tremblay spoke with Tony a little more than a week after he had completed his trip. The journey was still fresh, but Tony was able to reflect a bit on his big adventure. Why did you decide to ride around the world well there was two reasons i decided to ride around the world one is for my love of cycling and traveling uh i've cycled since i was very young my family's never owned a car 
So that's how I started cycling, just commuting around the city. Going to my other sports, I, I mainly played hockey. But when I was 12, my dad uh, took me on my first tour up to Vancouver, about 2,000 kilometers. Uh, and then from there, my love for like ultra endurance and long distance cycling really grew. I went on two tours after that, including uh, Great Divide Mountain Bike Route down to Mexico. And I was graduating high school and I really wanted to go and travel again and do um, a bigger trip. So that's where I got the idea from. So you left for this trip just days after graduating from high school. When did you start to plan the trip in your mind? Uh, it wasn't actually that long, maybe seven months before I left. Can you run me through the the uh, the stats of the trips per se, the, the number of days you were gone, uh, the length of the the uh, the kilometers you rode and the number of countries you passed through. Okay, yeah, uh, I was gone for two hundred and six days. I rode uh, thirty thousand eight hundred and four kilometers, and I, I went through sixteen countries. Incredible. Um, how did you plan that route? Well, originally I was actually going to Google Map it and download it to my Garmin, the exact roads I'd taken and the exact distance. But not long before I left, I decided just to scrap that idea and that it would be better just to go on my, just just go and, and find your roads when you're in the place and not be limited as much to, to a set plan. So all I knew was the countries I wanted to go through and the, the rough distances between the countries. So I just found the roads as I got there. And... Uh, that's how I did most of my trip. I just asked locals, what's the best to ride on, you know? And I found I ended up in more beautiful areas and on nicer roads because of that. Wow. You passed through almost all of Europe and, and then entered Russia and rode across the entirety of Russia, which in my mind is just mind-boggling. And then Mongolia, which is just quite desolate. There aren't very many big cities there. What was it like passing through these enormous countries with, with quite sparsely populated distances between uh, population centers? Well, actually, after coming to Europe, it was kind of, took me back to Canada because a lot of the touring here is very similar, uh, where you get large swaths of land with no one on them. Um, just means you got to pack more food. Personally, I enjoy it. I don't enjoy big centers. A lot of a lot of my uh, enjoyment comes just from being in isolated areas. That being said, my my ride through Mongolia was definitely the hardest part of my my journey because of isolation and, and for numerous reasons. But um, I, I actually love the, the isolation. It, you have to be a little bit more on top of the ball as far as uh, your supplies go. But but that feeling of just being completely independent of anything for, for weeks on end you know, is pretty amazing. Can you run me through some of the equipment you were using throughout the trip? Because obviously you, you passed through some pretty dramatically different climates. You were in Australia, you were in Russia, you were in Canada during January in the Rockies. How did you carry everything you needed and, and what was your bike setup like? Uh, so I had two different setups, one for the majority of the trip and one just for Canada. Um, but I, I had the traditional, like, little of the bike packing setup. Um, so I got a frame bag, 
seat bag and a handlebar bag. And I found that to accommodate all my stuff. For the most part, I carry next to nothing. Like I'm wearing a set of clothes and maybe half a set in the bags. Got a Bivia mat and a sleeping bag. I've got like a spoon and some bike tools. So I got a multi-tool and a pump, some extra tubes and, and just food. Most of my whip is actually food. Um, just because I, I had to carry a lot. I was back in grocery stores, so I ended up having a lot of food on me. Yeah. So, so the second um, setup I had was for the winter. And this was different because I needed to carry more stuff. I can go with the like the bike packing setup. So I went with the traditional panniers in the back. And this is because I had to carry more insulated layers. And I also carried some things just for fun through the Rockies. Like I had an avalanche shovel and some snowshoes. Just because I love like snowshoeing and going and digging at Quincy and stuff like that. And so that was completely unnecessary for my bike trip. But I was like, you know, it's the end of my trip. Coming home, I'm gonna have gonna have some fun while I'm out here, you know. And what 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 bike were you on? I was on a Kona Sutra, which is a specific touring bike. And how much tire clearance does this bike have? Were you riding uh, knobby tires for most of the trip or slicks or what did that look like? Uh, I think I had 42s on okay. uh, for most of the trip. And then when I got to the winter section, I think it was 2.1 inch. I'm not sure on that. It, it, it had a, the nice thing about the Kona Sutra is you can put road tires on it. You can put pretty wide mountain bike tires on there. They just, they've made the frame to accommodate a lot of different sizes of tire. So it's a very versatile bike. You passed through 16 different countries. You must have met an incredible variety of people, passed through environments that were so different. What were some of the most memorable parts of the trip? Oh, that's a hard one. There's so many good experiences you have in seven months. Um, some of the, actually some of the best experiences came out of some of the hardest experiences. You go through a lot of hardship and then you come out on the other side and that's Sometimes the most amazing experiences happened then. Probably the most memorable thing that ever happened to me was right after I'd gotten very, very ill in Mongolia and I was taken into a shepherd's home and nursed back to health. But after I had come back to health and I was able to walk around and do things, I was taken out by this 17 year old boy, a shepherd, um, on his motorbike to, to live a day in, in his life. And that was quite amazing experience and I, I remember that whole day completely start out like teaching me how to ride a motorbike in the desert you know and herd sheep which is just like yelling at the sheep and honking at them until they they walk back to the ears <laughs> you're like go scale rocks and play mongolian rock games in your hands um and go to town and do the his errands there and went back out and hunted foxes off the back of a motorbike and stuff like that and just such a big difference in, in our, our lives and for him to share that with me was, was a pretty amazing moment well i'll tell you what happened when i first got there it's pretty crazy to get there and it's they're they're having supper and, and it's a goat and it's a fresh kill and they just start with the front of the goat and they're eating just the goat's head and so the the goat's head's been chopped off and put it in a pan in a coal fire no seasoning nothing just skin and uh, it comes out and, and they start eating it. And one guy holds the horns and they pass out knives and you're just scraping the meat off the face of the goat. 
<laughs> and it's, it's just the the meat tastes like really terrible because there's there's nothing added to it. Like you cook any meat in an open coal fire with nothing added. Um, so, you're, but you're the guest, and I'm really happy to have like solid food. So I'm eating away, and you, you like eat the neck of the goat, and they show you how to slurp the spinal cord juice out of it, and, <laughs> and and I'm the guest there, so of course I get the best cut of the goat which is the goat's tongue. So the goat's tongue has been cooked inside the head and one guy just opens the mouth and the other guy just cuts the tongue right out of the, the head of the goat and hands it to me. <laughs> you know, you're smiling and giving the thumbs up because you don't speak um, the same language, but you're, you're chewing this yeah. thing. And oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, okay, tongue is high quality meat. But um, the problem is, is nothing's washed there. And so this tongue's been cooked inside of the head of the goat. And the, the goat was killed mid-mouthful. And so there's still like thorns and grass on the tongue inside the head of the goat. <laughs> so you're like picking these off as you're eating it. And oh, all you can taste is the smell of goat's breath. That's the, just like that overpowering flavor in your mouth. There was no other, <laughs> no other taste. <laughs> but I ended up getting sick that night. Like that night, and it wasn't because the goat. That was just that just happened to happen. But um, it got really bad that next day to the point like I threw up eight times during that day. And I lost so much energy. I lost a lot of weight too. Um, that I couldn't walk anymore. So I was forced to crawl out of this yurt, this little tent. Um, if I had to throw up, and this little board sit up there because there's not really beds. There's just like planks. I would lay on this plank and then just like crawl out into the desert and throw up and then crawl back in onto this plank. And I just stayed there the whole day, like delirious sick. Um, and they, they tried to feed me, but it was just like little bits of tea and, and rice because I, I couldn't stomach anything. What was the most memorable takeaway from the trip? Uh, just, it was, it was really the small things that that uh, appreciation for everything that's really really something you get from a trip like that your appreciation of your home your family um the, the things you have a lot of the time i feel like here we have so many things we, we begin to become callous towards them we don't even care but when you're living on you know what can fit in your bike bags for for half a year you're, you're doing everything on your own. Um, you just you begin to appreciate the things you, you have back home. And so now that I'm here, I feel like I'm, uh, it's kind of humbling in a way, the, the amount that we have and how rich we are. Uh, well, I am just like having a family, having like a home, a roof over my head every night. You don't have to worry about where you're going to stuff your bivy, you know, just like having that. Um, just just learn to love that so much more and it makes all your experiences after that so much better because you have that that new that new world view i guess incredible well thank you so much for taking the time to chat about your trip i'm sure you have an endless number of stories that you could continue telling us um <laughs> yeah. but thank you for the ones that you did did share and uh Look forward to yeah hearing what's next from from you. <laughs>
Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's good to talk to you. Bialing Tony of Saskatoon is the youngest person to ride around the world unsupported. Hey, Matt. What's up? We got a sponsor. Oh, that's great. Who is it? Well, they're challenging you to do something epic. It's the Ride to Conquer Cancer, Canada's largest cycling fundraiser. That's awesome. No, this is a, a very cool event um, because it's a great charity, but it's also a great ride, and it's a ride that can get riders of all kind involved. Yeah, so it's two days, over 200 kilometers. So that's a good challenge, and you know what? That makes it worth it, you know, all that training you're doing right now in the winter. Something like this is a great goal to shoot for. Right. So you sign up and you can raise vital funds to support cancer research, treatment advances, education, and new standards of care at cancer centers and research facilities across Canada. So as you probably know, almost one in two Canadians will be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. And this is one of those charities that's going to have you riding to change that. So what should people do, Dan? Register today at conquercancer.ca and save $50 when you use the promo code podcast at sign up. Again, that's promo code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T at conquercancer.ca. All right, it's time for Full Send, No Send. All right, how much time we got on the clock? We have five minutes on the clock. Are you ready, Matthew? I think we can do it this week. Las Vegas odds makers disagree, but let's prove them wrong. All right. On your marks. Yep. Get set, go. Okay. It's winter. Yes. You're riding your bike. I know I've seen you come in on the office every day bringing that thing in. Yep. Various states of disrepair are happening. All right, I'm going to take you through what could be interpreted as wrong with your bike right now. You're going to defend it. Yeah, because, well, first, you know, it's winter. The bike is getting a lot of abuse. I would argue some states of disrepair are perfectly acceptable. Let's start. Bar tape? Uh, Not important in the wintertime. Got gloves on, too much. You don't care about grip, but you don't care about how it looks. Also, the okay, the bar tape on my bike is really embarrassing. It looks, it's ratty, and it'd probably be better if I wasn't sort of trying to tie it up every once in a while, but it's winter, so I don't care. It's also not there in some parts. That feels cold. Moving on. I'm wearing mitts. Brake pads. Uh, full send on dialed brake pads. I'm not messing around with braking. I want to brake. Those are, those are, the brake pads are dialed. This just in, Matthew wants to brake. <laughs> Shifting. Uh, sh- I have a few cogs available to me and I bike through a relatively fat, flat city. So, oh, also in the snow, you want that low RPM sort of. That, that's your strategy yeah so uh full send on a few cogs on a few cogs you gotta have some shifting some some it's where the ice doesn't like build up too much that's your happy mediums your yeah. happy zones <laughs> exactly all right moving on tires tires well we've spoken about tires yeah. i'm a big fan of studded tires those are on point full all right send. if you can't, if you can't do studded tires i try and find a really old pair of cross tires that are like 28 30 millimeters they're out there you kind of have to scour eBay or like old MECs, but you can find them. Those work as well. 
Your chain. As long as it's not squeaking, it's okay. I find over the winter traffic, you can't hear it anyways. <laughs> Might as well run it on rust instead of lube. <laughs> wow. No, I give it a bit of TLC once the birds start chirping in there. I'm just throwing pretty much whatever. It will get it, you know, running smoothly on during the winter. If that's Vaseline, it's going in there. Uh, this one is near and dear to your heart, Matthew. Uh-huh. Panyas. Panyas? Panyas last a really long time. As long as nothing's falling out of them, they're fine. What? And yours? Are they falling out? Nothing's falling out yet. The, the, Knock on wood. The salt hasn't eaten away at the no, panniers? No, and I'm not, I'm not breaking in a new pair of panniers in winter. That would just like... Trial by salt? No. Trial no. by salt. I'm just running the old panniers that are 10 years old. All right. All right. All right. Okay. More to, now to a traditional topic. Mm-hmm. Peter Sagan's book. <laughs> we're, we're both in various parts of that book. Yes. I'm, I'm reviewing it for the magazine. I'm reviewing it for leisure. Leisure. Um, so, ah, okay. When I first read the first page, I was like, no send on this. Yeah. I did not buy that as Peter Sagan's voice. The, the first pages sound more like master's english thesis than bike racer no, it's like, like bad creative writing class all right but, but um no but as i've gone delved deeper into the book i i there are parts that smack authentic and i'm, I'm starting to enjoy it more it has more. just enough nuggets of sagan and saganism truths to keep you turning those pages you know like the the dynamic between what he calls team sagan his brother his team manager peter, yeah. team peter um you know, the coaches he's assembled around him, you know, that gives you just enough insight into who the guy is to keep you interested. Or just like when he, when like there's a brief history of the city of Richmond where he won the, yeah. the world championships and then he's, he's like, he makes some like self-effacing joke. Like what? You didn't think I learned something while I was there? <laughs> it's like that sort of self-awareness is that kind of humor you'd expect from him. So I, I buy that, the, the, the sort of <laughs> performance of Peter Sagan in English on paper, but uh, yeah, and then there's some parts I'm just like, mm, Ghost Rider. One of the parts that I always enjoyed was the Oleg Tinkoff sections. Ah, yeah. which, you know, is, is sort of... Um, that guy's on. kind of uh, brought himself back from uh, from the beyond. What was one of our colleagues saying? Tinkoffsky? Yes, Tinkoffsky Tink- is the... Tinkoffsky? Yes. Uh-huh. So Fulsen knows him on the potential return <laughs> of Mr. Oleg Tinkoff. I, I mean, I have the feeling that uh, Peter... Sagan wouldn't really want to work with him again. Though no. he sort of said Tinkoff wasn't that bad of a guy. He was a straight shooter, but maybe erratic. I don't if I remember correctly. Uh, you know, I mean, I as as someone who's just watching from afar and reporting on it, it's it's comical, but it doesn't seem like healthy or stable having that man involved in something. No, but you know what? He does seem to genuinely love it. Um, and someone bringing their passion and uh, more importantly, oh my oh, gosh, did we talk ourselves out of five we minutes? We talked ourselves out of five minutes. It was but my broken bike. As I was going to say, oh, you're overriding. I'm the overriding. Cup. We're going OT. Oh. Um, oh, go on. You've got the yes, mic. I've got, I've got Let's the go. mic. What was I going to say? I don't know. Passion. Passion. I don't think is enough oh, to just. And more importantly, his pocketbook. Right. Yes. Passion and pocketbook. Yeah. And you get a pro team. Yeah, I think you. I so, if we're, so if we're relying on someone's passion and pocketbook and individuals to really run the sport, some might say that's problematic, but uh, mm-hmm. that's for the UCI to decide and the segment is over. Oh, wow. You just shut her down like that. Okay. And there's another episode of Full Send, No Send where we kind of blew the time again. We're back to that. 
It's because producer Adam's not in the room All right. to cajole us. Bye. Bye. This is the part of the episode where I have to use all my willpower not to do a bad Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. It's so difficult to refrain from channeling Arnie or the old Saturday Night Live characters of Hans and Franz when it's time to talk about strength training. Also, speaking of willpower and strength, I find my motivation to do core work and strength training is pretty good this time of year, in the depths of winter. But that work often goes out the window when the weather starts to warm. Recently, I spoke with coach Peter Glassford about strength training for cyclists. Let's have a listen right now. Peter Glassford, welcome back to the Canadian Cycling Magazine podcast. Matt, thanks for having me. Really excited. Right on. Today, we are going to talk about strength training. So my question for you on strength training for cyclists is like, well, first Maybe can you remind us why it's important? Just briefly tell us why, you know, I thought specificity, we talk about that. I ride my bike. I ride my bike lots to ride fast. What's Why am I doing push-ups? Tell me about that. Well, I mean, the reality is that I don't think you or I are going to the Tour de France. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't get my contract in the mail either. I think I'm coming on that January 1st uh, trade deadline there. But, I'm still waiting, yeah. Um, yeah, yours is probably lost. Yeah, so, I mean, the important thing for us to consider is, like, is our cycling performance our only concern? Um, and maybe it is for you. Maybe there is, like, maybe that is the most important thing. And that's that's fine. Cycling's good for us. Um but the, the other concerns we want to look at are obviously like just being functional into older age. So longevity uh, as sort of a blanket term uh, is important, right? Like we need to be able to move our body around uh, as we get older. It's harder to um, build muscle and preserve muscle to keep the muscle on. Um, and we know that having muscle into old age is beneficial. Now that, that doesn't sound very sexy. Uh, it certainly doesn't sound like, you know, climbing up a mountain or beating your friends in sprints. No, nope. um, but, uh, it, it is sort of a concern, right? And I think basically once you're into your thirties, like that's, you know, that should be a concern, especially again, if you don't have a tour de France contract, mm -hmm. um, so there's that. Um, I think it, it is well supported for cycling. There's more and more studies if you want to go that way. Um, but I, I think just being able to to lift those heavier loads, especially, but also just to be able to move through range and, and sort of activate muscle. Um, I think there's a lot of good mechanism and then also, again, some support in studies um, in both in both masters and youth and then also obviously in elites. Um, there's a bit of support, too. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, to me, there's, there's just no major reason not to, um, in some fashion. And I think that's what we're going to talk about as well as sort of what type of way that could be phased in and what is strength training. Um, but I, I don't see a huge reason not to, uh, include right. it in some, some way. 
Okay, so we're talking, it's it's February, and this always strikes me as a good time to, to start looking at strength training because there's no beautiful writing to distract me or, or, or get me outside. Um, what is, say, the, the deluxe uh, strength training regime for cyclists at this time of year? If you could, like, have someone doing, like, the perfect... You know, but a ma- say for a master's, though, what would you like your master's riders to be doing at this time of year? <laughs> Going easier on their bikes would probably be the number one thing I would ask my master's to do. But okay, I, I don't know if I'll ever get that, um, so we deal with it. But for strength training, um, you know, I, it would be great to start sort of as you're finishing your cycling season and to start slowly um, because the biggest limiter with strength that you'll hear is people get really sore or they get really injured because we get in there and we put a bunch of plates on right Um, so whatever time of year you're listening to this um, I I would just start slowly um, and very conservatively right like you're not going again we're not getting a contract for weightlifting either or for the NFL or anything like that no. So, and we're all, you know, cyclists. So none of us look impressive, no matter what you're doing in the gym. <laughs> um, so I would, I would just start really gradually. And that sounds boring, but I would start with sort of the classic eight to 12 reps and, and try and go through and do one or two exercises. I wouldn't go crazy with it. It should probably only take somewhere between, I would give you the range 30 to 60 minutes. Um, and, and probably on even the shorter end to start um, and just, ease through that so I don't know if you want to go through actual exercises but sort of just hitting sort of upper body lower body we're not biasing towards any sort of strength or like cycling muscles necessarily um, but just sort of hitting everything I guess really quickly what maybe are three like really go-to strength exercises you would list in in those in that workout sure yeah um i I mean i think it's useful to think about what is a good strength training workout and and so we're thinking full body um it's very rare like a lot of us are familiar you know from like the good old days of training for high school football or something like that where we did like bench and whatever right Um, and tricep kick down so you're trying to think of like muscles that make you use most of your body when you're doing them whether that's just like stabilizing your whole body or or just using a lot of muscle while we're doing it Um, I guess you could say bang for your buck. So when I look or design a strength training workout, we're looking to see that there's basically six aspects plus or minus. Um, So there's push and pull for your um, lower body is probably the simplest to start with. So there's squat. So you can just squat down um, or hinge, which would be like a, a kettlebell swing, which you should be careful with to start if you haven't done or like a deadlift. So the classic starter would be like a Romanian deadlift uh, with a single leg. Um, so basically like bending over to pick something up mm-hmm. um, and that works on the backs, so your hamstrings, right? Um, you could also do like pe- a lot of people know the hamstring curl on a stability ball would be for the back of your legs. So you're thinking like, how do we work the back of our legs? And then we're going to do push or pull for our upper body in the horizontal plane. So we all know push up or bench press. So that would be a push in the horizontal plane. And then a pull would be the opposite of that in the horizontal plane. So like a, a, a bent over row would be uh, a, a horizontal pull. And then you could also do, or should do vertical push and pull. So we all know pull up, that's the cyclist's favorite one. 
mm-hmm. um, which is very good. Again, if you have shoulder issues from crashes and stuff, you should be a little careful with the, the vertical stuff. Um, and there's ways to get around that. But uh, yeah, I would do pull up and then the opposite of that would be like an overhead press. So take one, usually with most masters uh, and people who are older will use one dumbbell or kettlebell and you just press that overhead. So it's like, and you just do that one at a time and that'll help the shoulders a little bit. Um, so those are sort of the six basic things. I'd add like a plank or something to do some crawling and then maybe pick up some heavier weights and walk around with them and call that sort of a heavy carry. Um, mm. That's sort of eight wor- eight sort of exercises you could do. Um, and like I say, eight to 12 reps, you can do that in a circuit. You can do it, you know, in sort of pairs as I sort of listed them, um, sort of however works for you. Nice. That sounds sounds like a lot of work, but <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what we want. Um, now, I know you have a short version of this or or not a short version of this, but I believe you do like a 10 minute core workout a day. What's this? What's the secret short thing you've got going on? Yeah. So we have I have a couple of videos on YouTube. If you search like Peter Glassford uh, anywhere core, you probably will come up. Um, mm-hmm. I can get the link for you, too. Yeah, we'll put that um, in the show notes. But essentially, I, I've had really good success with cyclists, and we do this year-round, but the goal is to sort of do 10 minutes of core, ideally every day. You know, some people miss the odd day, but I think if you do it every day, at least in some form, it sort of breeds the, the habit. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, that's just super consistent, and you can see progress, especially as a beginner strength training person. Uh, you can see progress with that pretty quickly. Like a lot of us don't need a lot. Again, as a cyclist, like if you don't have one pull up or like push ups are really hard or squats are really hard, you're only going to be doing like light weights. Um, then it's like it sort of gets into this debate of whether you need to even start at the gym, right? And is starting at the gym actually taking up a lot of time for people? Um, some people need to go to the gym or else they won't do it at all, or you know they actually do want to go to the gym. Uh, mm-hmm. which is great but the the 10 minute core is just you know you, you pick really i try and get people to self-guide we all have physio exercises we're supposed to be doing for that shoulder when we crashed um, but we do basically the exercises i listed so you could do a lunge at home you could do a squat at home you could do a push-up at home you can do sit-ups or planks or side planks there's a great one the side plank a lot of people struggle with um you know back extensions on the floor any you know pick six say and then you rotate through them you know for 10 minutes and you could do 10 reps of each and then next week's do 11 reps of each and sort of just try and progress it again just like we would any training load over the course of weeks um and and you just see really good benefit that way and that's what i do personally uh, because we travel so much when i get home and can do a block of strength in the gym i will but that's i think i'm three years into that now and yeah I, i really really like it yeah that sounds great because like you don't need any extra equipment and you you don't uh, but you could certainly use what you have right again start light but like i usually at home use i think we have a 20 25 pound kettlebells that i use for a lot of the stuff but like some days if i've just done five hour rides and stuff the day before or you know done a big strength workout the day before i'll still do it but i might do it without weights so it's it's very if you have a stability ball use what you have by all means Mm -hmm. but it but it could be hotel room with zero with nothing, do something, right? And you just have to mix it up and that's fine. Excellent. No, this is great advice. And um, I think the key or what's really good about that one is it's it's doable. It, it's not as, as daunting a, a startup and it sounds like something 
that uh, is easier to keep keep going. And like you have a three year record, so I think that's pretty <laughs> inspiring. Yes, my streak. Yeah, yeah, and Your I think streak. that's that's the thing, right? Is like when we look back at those reasons we're strength training. Um, it, you know, you can get a lot of that by maintaining it year round. I think. Um, hmm. And then it makes when you come and you do want to do some strength, then it's easier, I think, to get going with it. And you're not maybe as sore as well. Right on again, Peter. Thanks for these great tips. And we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you. Peter Glassford is a professional coach and head of Smart Athlete Coaching Services. You can listen to more training advice on The Consummate Athlete, a podcast by Peter and his wife, Molly Herford. Send in your Ask a Coach questions for Peter to podcast at cyclingmagazine.ca. This past September, the SunWeb development team announced some new signings, which included Ben Kederberg from Courtney, BC. You know SunWeb is the team with Tom Dumoulin and Leah Kirchman in its ranks but it also has a 14-member development squad with young men from the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, and Denmark. Kederberg is a strong Canadian rider. He's the current junior road and time trial champion. At the start of this year, the 18-year-old rider moved to the Netherlands. He and I spoke recently about his big move to Europe, his training in Spain, and the road season ahead. Ben Kederberg, welcome to the Canadian Cycling Magazine podcast. Now, I'm I understand I probably said your name wrong, but I also understand you might have been saying it wrong your whole life. Is that true? That is true, yeah. That's uh, news to me from uh, this trip now. Um, so, yeah, apparently uh, from all the all the duchies that I've come across, uh, get always mistaken for, uh, well, not mistaken, I guess it obviously is a Dutch last name, but, uh, yeah, it's meant to be pronounced uh, Katabel. But, uh, yeah, obviously, just the way that I've known it is Skaterberg. So, yeah, either way, I'm. it's all good to me. Right on. And and do you know the meaning behind your last name? Yes, I believe it's uh, Cat of the Mountain. So, yeah, it's ah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of climbing action, I guess, for me. So it's, uh, it's almost it's funny that way. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, let's let's hope that rings true. Uh, now you you're currently between team camps with um, Sunweb Development. Uh, this is your first year on that squad. Yeah. That's um, right. How was your how was your first team camp with Sunweb? Yeah, it's obviously very different from anything that I've experienced before in a very very positive way. Um, like for instance. Uh, the organization and just the, the pure preparedness of the camp is really on another level. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, the days are really well laid out. So you're really, you're not, you're not stopped from the moment you get up to the, the time you go to sleep is pretty much full gas. So it's, that's uh, really good. It's good bike rides, but also some good seminars and yeah, all those good, good meals with the team. So it's a lot of fun. Tell me a bit about the riding. You're you're based in Calpe at the moment. Um, what's it like when you head out onto the roads in that area of Spain? Oh, it's it really uh, Calpe itself is quite uh, a commercial place. There's a lot of hotels and 
things, but you just take a few roundabouts and it's right right out into the open valleys and you're on the coast, you're wherever you want to go. It's everything's within within rideable distance, so it's really uh, it's really a diverse place to ride. It's it's amazing. It's very beautiful. And um, uh, I get I imagine there's a few other cyclists out on the road that you see. Yeah, there is. Uh, it's really quite the hot spot for sure. Like, uh, yeah, I've seen many national teams around here. Lots of pro teams. Like, yeah, it's really at this time of the year. It's it's uh, cycling heaven, I'd say for sure. Now, um, this second team camp you're you're headed towards. Uh, do you have a sense of what the the team goals are for the the riders? Yeah, so I think um, yeah, obviously the first team camp was the first for a lot of or well for a few guys on the team. So um, it was just pretty relaxed, like a few base miles, yeah, a few tests and stuff. But I think now that the the baseline has been set, I think uh, we're doing some more tests in this next camp. But I think it's going to be a little bit more dynamic and a little bit more. Uh, yeah, a little bit harder, and coming into the racing season, it might have a little bit of lead-out practice, and yeah, I think just a little bit more on the on the detailed side of things. So, now, do you have any personal goals for yourself um, in the in this camp setting? Yeah, obviously, I think uh, from doing testing back to back like that, it's always it's always a a bit of a competition against yourself to try to get some personal bests and. And really see where your fitness is going and where it's at. So yeah, obviously I think I want to put it, put a few watts into the into the the number bank and and uh, yeah. Yeah, but make some improvements um, from one camp to the other. Yeah, it, off the bike, on the bike, it's all kind of some intangible stuff is is also very important. And how about? Um sort of the work you're doing with your teammates um um, have you have you had a chance to sort of break the ice and 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 how are things sort of gelling that way with uh, your fellow riders yeah it's really good like uh yeah the team has just been been really awesome uh the guys are all really uh all in the same mindset and all very uh already gelling well together so it's quite exciting to see what the what the season will hold because already it's I think uh, I think uh, yeah a lot of guys are willing to to ride their their hearts out for each other so yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be quite the season for for me being the first year it's gonna be quite special so now uh, Sunweb has its its um, elite teams and on the women's side there's Leah Kirchman uh, a fellow Canadian has yeah. she given you um, any advice from one Canadian to another. Uh, I think that's still to come. I haven't spent enough time with her to really, uh, really get a good, uh, good deep conversation going. But um, yeah, I've met her a few times, had a few chats, and yeah, looking forward to spending a little bit more time to get to know her a little bit better. So and there'll be lots of time for that. So really looking forward to that. Very cool. Um, earlier this year, actually, I believe it was New Year's Day. You actually moved from BC to Holland. Yeah. How was that move? Yeah, I think obviously with a little bit of family background in Holland, it was really quite exciting to me to kind of, well, it's like uh, a bit of a, a crazy opportunity. It just happened that this was the this was the opportunity, this was the place. So, yeah, it was quite a quite a well, obviously a big move, but the team 
already had everything in place, so it made it very easy and stress-free. So, yeah, it's that there was just keys to a house, and that's uh, it's really all you can ask for. So, yeah, it's really didn't pack too much, and the team gives you really a lot of a lot of uh, what you need. So, uh, it's really it's a big move, but I think I'm settling in quite well. So. How did you, how do you find like managing the day to day? Like just, you know, after the ride, um, you know, do you, do you, do you uh, get out and about? Um, are you learning the language and stuff like that? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, I think coffee comes first and then, uh, <laughs> and some food and then, uh, yeah, obviously take the opportunity with grocery shopping to go and explore the town and go have a coffee again. And <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, Still a little bit learning the language, but it's it, it's pretty uh, it's difficult to, to to stay motivated on that. But as soon as I get a few more people around that are speaking the language, I think it'll be a little bit easier for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And how long will you be based in Holland for this year? Uh, this year, um, most of most of the time. Um, so my base will be in in Sittard in the in the Netherlands in the south end there. Um, so right now they're finishing the construction of the new Keep Challenging Center. So I'll be staying at the the women's house or the old team house until until that time. So every every time in between races we'll be coming in and out of there. So yeah, probably until late season until I get a, a break and go home to, to British Columbia. And do you have a sense yet of what races you might be doing this year or does that come after the second team camp? Yeah, so I think we'll probably learn a little bit more in the second team camp, but we've already had the, a sneak preview at the the calendar in the first one. So, yeah, it's already it's already quite exciting to to see because, yeah, obviously I I'm not familiar with all of the races, but yeah, there's a few few on there that are that are really gonna be quite some fun. Can you give us some names of races? Yeah, so I think the big highlight for me will be uh, racing the the Espoir Liège. So that will be. I, I I'm not sure if I'm really a classics rider, but I think I have no choice, and I think I'm gonna have to really find my find my shoes and fill them for that race because that'll be uh, quite the experience. Excellent. Well, it sounds like a good a good challenge, maybe a, um, an opportunity to grow or develop in a, in a new way. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's another big uh, big value of the team is they really they give the all the well. For me and all the riders, they'll be giving them a very diverse calendar just so they don't limit their aspirations and their, their potential. So, yeah, they're, they're not going to just say, hey, you're a GC guy or, hey, you're a, you're a sprinter. They'll, they'll throw everybody in every situation to see, see how they handle it and see yeah, if they surprise themselves. Like, it's really, I think, it's a great way of, of coming into uh, U23 as really being given all the opportunities that there is to have. So now, is there is there a certain race that you hope to do or you want to do that uh, you're maybe angling for later in the year? Yeah, to be honest, um, no, not really. I think I'd rather have a set calendar and then really make whatever races I'm doing the ones that I want to do. If you know what I mean. Hmm. Um, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, whatever whatever the calendar presents itself, that will be what I'll be. Uh, really aspiring to and driving me so i think in the second year that will change but for now i think 
whatever I'm doing is is what I want to do. Nice. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you think you'll be back in Canada to try to win the uh, a Maple Leaf jersey once again? <sighs> oh yeah, always. I I believe I'll be back. So obviously, I still a long time away, but um, always always going for that Maple Leaf. That would be uh, that'd be another proud moment for sure. Um, but yep, all we can do now is uh, put in the hours and, and see how the season goes. So always, always sitting in the back of the head. Right on. Well, thanks very much, Ben, and, and good luck this season. And I hope uh, we check in again sometime. Sounds great. Thanks, Matthew. And that's the episode. It was put together by Dan Walker, Philippe Tremblay, me, Matthew Piero, and it was produced by Adam Killick. Now, if you want more of what Canadian Cycling is doing, check us out at Canadian Cycling on Instagram, at Canadian Cycling on Twitter as well. If you're on Facebook, it's at Cycling Mag. Now, next time you're on your virtual ride, stop throwing people thumbs up, throw them links to the podcast, and tell them they can listen on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, and our RSS feed. Yeah, tons of ways to get at the podcast. And if you have ideas for full send, no send, you can send us an email at podcast at cyclingmagazine.ca. Also, send in your Ask a Coach questions for Peter Glassford at the same address, podcast at cyclingmagazine.ca. Thanks to the Ontario Media Development Corporation for its support, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you.